Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. What does the Holy Spirit do? He helps you to understand what God is doing, what God has done, what God wants to do in your life. What do you know about the Trinity? That's the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit component often raises more questions than it gives answers. Tonight, Dr. Corbett approaches the first in a four-part series on the Holy Spirit. This first session looks at the person of the Holy Spirit. Let's join him now. When we pick up a Bible, and I'm, I'm mindful of someone perhaps who, for you, this whole Christianity deal is, is a new deal for you. You're not familiar with the Bible. This is what you're going to discover. When you go to Genesis chapter 1, the very first book, the very first chapter of the very first book, the very first couple of verses, you are immediately going to be confronted with the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's verse 2 of the Bible. You're introduced to the Holy Spirit. He's variously called the Spirit. He's called the Spirit of God. He's called the Spirit of the Lord or the Holy Spirit. Spirit. When you go to the New Testament, you are going to experience exactly the same thing. You're going to go to, if you go to the first book of the New Testament, you're going to go to Matthew, you're going to read of a young girl by the name of Mary, who it says, and she was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. So right from the get-go, the Old Testament or the New Testament, you're immediately introduced to the Holy Spirit. I was raised in a an Anglican home, and I'm, I was confirmed an Anglican. And I think through my confirmation process, I heard about the Holy Spirit because of the creeds of the church. And we're going to refer to the Nicene Creed in just a moment. And I remember thinking as a 15-year-old who was coming to know Christ myself, as a teenager, thinking, Holy Spirit, boy, I've hardly ever heard about the Holy Spirit. And then I'll share a little bit more about my journey as we go through this series. But I want you to see immediately that if you just casual reading of the Bible, you're going to read that the Holy Spirit warned Joseph in a dream to take the mother and child and flee. You're going to see that it was the Holy Spirit that was present at Jesus' baptism the Holy Spirit who sent Jesus out into the wilderness. You're going to read that the Holy Spirit, while Jesus was out in the wilderness, here's one of those acknowledge God in all your way deals, even though your circumstances aren't great. There's Jesus out in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. And it says he returned from that experience full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, then we read in Luke that he stood up in the Spirit and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So the Holy Spirit is not some guy in the background. He's like front and centre. And this is what I want you to see first as we introduce this. The Holy Spirit is a person. So I hear people say, when I received it, I think, no, it's not, he's not an it. He's a he. So when we say he's a he, we mean he's a person. In fact, I'm going to... I'm going to say he's, he's more of a person than you and I are a person. So, what do we mean? Well, what, what is a person? A person is someone who exercises choice. We call this volition. So we see the Holy Spirit exercising choice. We read in Acts chapter 
13, where the apostles say this, it seemed good to us and, oh sorry, Acts chapter 15, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. Huh. So certain things seem good to the Holy Spirit. What else do we see about the Holy Spirit? He exhibits emotion. You remember Ananias and Sapphira? Ananias and Sapphira, the apostle Peter says in Acts chapter 5, uh, into, Acts chapter 5 into early Acts chapter 6, it says, Peter says, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. You have grieved the Holy Spirit. The, the apostle writing to the Ephesians says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 5. You see, grief is a deep emotion. The Holy Spirit feels emotion. Now think about Ananias and Sapphira. They lied to the Holy Spirit. How do you feel when you know someone's lying to your face? There's a anger, grief, sense of hurt. And Peter said, this is what you've done to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. See, if the Holy Spirit was, as Jehovah's Witnesses teach, a force or an energy field or an atmosphere, like the PowerPoint has energy out of it, you can't go up to the PowerPoint and lie to the PowerPoint and expect Aurora to be grieved. The Holy Spirit feels grief. You know, you could go up to the, for example, you go up to this PowerPoint just here and say, Collingwood's going to win the 2016 AFL Grand Final. See, I've just lied. And see, it doesn't feel anything. What's a, a rational person is a person who's able to think things through. I mentioned before Acts chapter 15, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. There's there's a sense where the Holy Spirit, we, we have references where the Holy Spirit is, is able to think things through, rational. That, that's what a person does. Now, the reason I highlight these is because we live in an, in an age when people pretend that there's such a thing as um, machines that can think, artificial intelligence. And you know what? They can't, they can't make it work. They just can't make it work. The closest thing they can do is to give the machine so many possibilities that when it's confronted with that possibility, it just reverts back to its software. It can't actually give that machine the ability to rationalise and think through issues. So the Holy Spirit's not like that. The Holy Spirit is rational. The next thing we see is the Holy Spirit is conscious. Conscious, self-aware. The Holy Spirit knows he's a person. He knows he's a person. And so do you. That's, these are the traits of what it is to be a person. So I hope I've made the case. And I just want to re-emphasize this. The Holy Spirit is not a force. As Hindus claim God is, uh, some, most of Hinduism claims that uh, this thing is uh, called pantheism. God is just in the atmosphere. The force be with you is basically a Hindu concept. He's not like that. He's not an atmosphere. You know, when you, you hear people talk about, oh, the spirit of that party was, was, was up. He's not like an atmosphere. He's a person. And I, I hope that we can see some of the reasoning behind this. The Holy Spirit is capable of empathy. Jesus described the Holy Spirit. Here's some other terms to describe the Holy Spirit. And we'll see this as we look at the work of the Spirit next week. Jesus described the Holy Spirit in the Greek, it's, it's the word paraclete. 
And a paraclete was someone who came alongside you. They were there to guard you, shepherd you, shield you, to be a counsellor, be someone who could say, don't, don't go, go this way. That's a paraclete, someone who comes alongside to aid and strengthen. Another word for that is, and Jesus used this word, is comforter. You see, when someone comforts you, they know what you're feeling. That's that word empathy. It's also that word sympathy. So the Holy Spirit is able to exhibit compassion. So we, we read of Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, and then the next thing we read, Jesus full of compassion. That's what the Holy Spirit does for someone. So, compassion, Holy Spirit, understanding. We could see 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll look at this, and when we look at the work of the Spirit, is that he knows what you're thinking. In fact, the Bible says the Holy Spirit knows what you're thinking before you can even articulate, put into words what you're thinking. He knows your thoughts. He knows the next word to come out of your mouth before you've even chosen that word. He knows you. He understands you. And then added to this is this amazing thing. The Holy Spirit is able to communicate. And Jesus, in the Gospel of John, which I know many of us are reading the Gospel of John this month, and the Gospel of John has Jesus talking about what the Holy Spirit will do, who the, who the Holy Spirit is, and what the Holy Spirit does in a believer. And one of the things is he will lead you, he will guide you, he will teach you. That's communication language. So the Holy Spirit communicates. So I wonder if, as you're hearing this, a prayer in your heart could just begin to rise up. A prayer in your heart that says... I want to know this Holy Spirit. And here's what I want you to know if that's the prayer of your heart. The more you seek to know the Holy Spirit, the more you are going to get to know Jesus. Because Jesus said this, He will take, He, speaking of the Holy Spirit, He will take of what is mine and He will make it known to you. As you seek the Holy Spirit, which is a good thing to do, Jesus said to do that. The more you do that, the more you will come to know Christ. And I heard someone put it this way. You know, I really intently sought the Holy Spirit. I, I don't feel like I did because, well, I just, just didn't, have that, didn't seem to get that connection. But, boy, I just seem to have a richer, sweeter relationship now with Jesus. That's a person that's been with the Holy Spirit. And, and if you can get this... The more you spend, the more time you spend with the Holy Spirit, the more he's going to draw you closer to Jesus. Then here's an interesting thought. How about we all become a little bit more like the Holy Spirit? The more people get to know you, the more they get to know Jesus. So I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit is not a New Testament idea. The Holy Spirit is a biblical idea, biblical revelation. And I'm going to use this term. The term is progressive revelation. You may have heard of the term, progressive revelation. It means this. As you go from Genesis 1-1 through to Revelation 22-21, what you're going to discover is God gives a little bit of truth here. He then builds on that truth. 
He then progresses that truth a bit more here. He progresses it more here. And progressively, as we come to the New Testament, he's unfolding more and more truth. It's like it starts off a little here and it just opens up right at the end. That's called progressive revelation. So we're introduced to the Holy Spirit right from the outset of Scripture. But we're not told that much about the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he does, what he's about. We can see he's active in creation. He's doing some creating. This is a, what we call a divine prerogative. So let, let's make that case. I've referred to Genesis 1-2, the opening a couple of verses of Scripture itself. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of of the waters. Within, if you're just reading through your Bible, I'm skipping literally hundreds of references to the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament to come to Judges. This is a dramatic one for me because some people have the idea that the New Testament is like, whoa, that is like, where did that come from? It's not. It's this progressive revelation. It just starts. Everything in the New Testament was concealed in the Old Testament. The saying goes, the new reveals what the old conceals. So it was always there. And so we have this account of Gideon in Judges chapter 6, and it says this, But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet and the Abizrites were called out to follow him. The point there is that the Spirit of God came upon Gideon. This is Old Testament. The Spirit of God came upon Gideon and he was able to do things that no mere mortal could do. We could go on and read through Judges and see the same thing happened with another bloke. Anyone remember the guy who used the jawbone? What was his name? Samson, it says this, when the Spirit of God rushed upon him, he could slay a thousand men single-handedly. Do you get the impression this is superhuman stuff? This is what the Holy Spirit was doing in the Old Testament. We go on in the Old Testament. We come toward the end of the Old Testament. Oh, actually, sorry, let me come back. to Job, as in we're progressing through the Bible, but Job is believed to be the first biblical book written. It was, Job lived before Moses, and his book was around before Genesis was written. And this is what, this is what the ancient people knew. Job wasn't a Hebrew. He was an Arab. And this is what he says about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Now, why breath? Here's the reason. Because the Hebrew word for spirit and breath is the same Hebrew word, ruach. It's the same word. In fact, it's the same in Greek as well. And it speaks, Jesus referred to this in, in John chapter 3 when he said, the Holy, you, you can't see the Holy Spirit, but you can see what he does. Like the wind. It's the same word, breath, wind. Okay, so Job, notice what Job says. It was the Holy Spirit who created me and everything. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. We now come to King David. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. King David wrote that. 
1100 BC or so. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. These guys were, these are Jewish people. They are aware that God is, they had an inkling. If you read uh, Proverbs chapter 31, or is it uh, Proverbs 30, it says, um, who, who has ascended? Who knows God? And what is his son's name? This is Jewish literature. It's in the Old Testament. They, became, they increasingly became aware that there was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, if we had time, we'd look through Isaiah, where it, where it says, The Father has sent me and the Spirit. And see, this progressive revelation of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is beginning to unfold through the Old Testament and is, comes into full bloom in the New Testament. And this guy here, Ezekiel, he is one of the weirdest guys in the Bible. He had an experience with the Holy Spirit that Steven Spielberg would win three Academy Awards with if he ever discovers it and puts it on film. This is, this is just staggering what... what relationship Ezekiel had with the Holy Spirit and he says and this is chapter 11 verse 5 and the spirit of the Lord fell upon me and he said to me see electricity can't say anything to you an atmosphere a force an attitude can't say anything to you but a person can and he said to me say thus says the Lord see how the Holy Spirit self-identifies that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And that's the exclusive name of God. And he said this, So you think, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind. <laughs> He's talking like God. So this is Ezekiel. And if you read the earlier chapters of Ezekiel, it's pretty weird stuff. Where Ezekiel talks about encountering the Holy Spirit, being captured in a geographical location and immediately translated to another geographical location that would take you a month to journey there. <laughs> this is pretty weird stuff. This is the activity of the Holy Spirit in Ezekiel. So here's what I want us to really understand. To know God is to know the Holy Spirit. Now, I was, I was raised, it sounds strange, but the, my first... It sounds really strange now to think about it. My, my first experience with, with Pentecostals was I went to a Pentecostal church. I joined a, a, uh, I was part of the youth group. I went to a Pentecostal Bible study. And this is what the, uh, the, the youth group leader at the time said. He said, it's wrong to pray to the Holy Spirit. It's wrong to seek the Holy Spirit. It's wrong to worship the Holy Spirit because all of those things belong to Jesus only. And I've got to tell you, I, I didn't know anything else. I just thought, well, he's the youth group leader. He would know. They know. Youth group leaders know everything. He would know. And so I'd, and then I'm, I'm reading things in Scripture which that didn't seem to be what the Bible was saying. It didn't seem to be what Jesus was saying at all about the Holy Spirit. I was very confused. I remember I went to an elder in the church and I said, look, I'm a bit confused here. I got the youth group leader saying this. And yet I can see this in the Bible. And he said, the youth group leader is wrong. The youth group leader is wrong. The, the Bible nowhere says you shouldn't worship the Holy Spirit. In fact, I was to discover that the earliest creeds of the ancient church said that the Holy Spirit 
is worthy of worship. We can pray to the Holy Spirit. We can seek the Holy Spirit. But as I mentioned to you, if you do, and I encourage you to do that, the Bible says to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You may have given your life to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit will come, and he'll wash out your heart and give you a new heart. Thank God. But he wants to do so much more in you. And you as a Christian may know there's something missing. I've gone stagnant. My journey, my spiritual journey is plateaued. I want to go deeper. I want my relationship with God to be richer. When I see these people coming and they're lifting their hands like they really want to surrender, they really want to see God, I want that. I want to feel that. And I've even met Christians who've said, you should come to worship and don't worry about how you feel. And that's not what the Bible says at all. It says we should worship God with all our, not just mind, not just strength, not just soul, but with all our heart. It's with the heart you feel. There's nothing wrong with feeling deep love and devotion and passion for God. And the Bible says you've got to stir that up. And that comes from being filled with the Spirit afresh. And, and the and when I read in, in Acts, I see in Acts chapter uh, 2, they were, they were filled with the Spirit, day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 3, the Holy Spirit came through them and, and he's healing the lame man by the gate. By Acts chapter 4, we read the Apostle Peter leading the Christians in saying this, God, fill us afresh with your Spirit. And I'm thinking, this is the Apostle Peter. He feels dry. He's asking to be refilled. Good grief. How much more should I be praying regularly to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit? Are you with me? Is anyone else with me? <laughs> Do we want to be filled with the Spirit? It's going to transform the way you see God and, and your place in this world. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and knowing that as you seek God, you're actually... Seeking, as you seek the Holy Spirit, you're seeking God, you're spending time with God. This is what it says, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand things freely given us by God. What does the Holy Spirit do? He helps you to understand what God is doing, what God has done, what God wants to do in your life. You won't become just, oh, I'm, just, I'm not a father type person. I'm not a Jesus type. I'm a Holy Spirit type person. Yeah, glory. It won't happen. It can't happen if you're genuinely seeking the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will bring you closer to the Father through Christ. You'll begin to hear things. You'll begin, you'll begin to see things. You'll begin to say things that the Spirit of God is just all over when you seek him. You begin to talk differently. You won't talk like the world. You won't think like the world. The things of the world will grow strangely dim, as the hymn writer says. This is what the Nicene Creed says. One of the most ancient creeds of the church, it says this, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is, notice that, worshipped 
and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I, I remember the, the elders showing me some of these things, and I thought, well, there it is. This is what the ancient church believed about the Holy Spirit. And it makes sense, doesn't it? If he is the eternal God, the one in Genesis 1-1 who created the whole deal at the order of the Father by the agency of the Son, but it's the Spirit that rolled his sleeves up and did it. He's God. He's worthy of worship. He's worthy of worship. We worship Father, Son and Holy Spirit co-eternal, uncreated, always existed. And here's my question, church. I hope I've put a little bit of salt in your soul, <laughs> a little bit of salt in your spiritual mouth. And let me ask you this question right now. Do you, are you enjoying your Christianity? Are you enjoying your walk with God? Are you enjoying fellowship with the Holy Spirit? I want, I'm going to use this this next verse, you are going to hear me repeat this over and over and over. And it's, it's 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. And I want you to see the Trinity in this verse, but I want you to also hear the heart. This is one of the most ancient benedictions of the church. Benedict, bene, good dictions, word, good words. This is the good words spoken as the church would conclude its worship meeting there would be a benediction spoken. And this is, record, this is the Apostle Paul's for the Corinthians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship, or depending on your translation, communion or intimacy or friendship with the Holy Spirit or of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And here's my question. You may know the grace of the Lord Jesus. You may know the love of the Father. But do you know sweet fellowship with the Holy Spirit? As we start this year, church, as we kick off this year, this could be the year when we see drug addicts who have done so much damage to their, to their brains, let alone their minds, who've injured themselves physically, come into this place and get touched by the Spirit of God and get healed. This could be the year when we see dozens of marriages, marriages in, in the early years of marriage who've already hit trouble, come in desperate. They don't know God. They've never been to church before in their life. And they come into this place and they encounter the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. This could be the year when we see the wayward, the ones who had a little bit of church, just enough to inoculate them against the real deal, who wandered off, come back home and meet Jesus because of what the Holy Spirit does in their life. This could be the year when you have gone around and around and around that mountain. You have plateaued. You have resisted God. Your heart has been full of fear because you, you have not wanted to surrender completely to God. And this could be the year when the Holy Spirit comes in and just transforms you. Let's pray. Father, we as a church stand together. And we ask, oh God, that this would be the year, Holy Spirit, where you would come. And Lord, I as pastor, I ask transform my heart, transform my mind. Help me to look at, the, at these people you've placed in my care with a shepherd's eye. Help me to have a shepherd's touch. Help me to have the words of a shepherd anointed by your spirit. 
And I pray, Lord, that we as your people would be a people who are open to you, Holy Spirit, to come and transform us. Now, you might be here right now. You may be watching me.